everybody, Chris here with one announcement. On our own supply, the Clean and Sober store is up at cleanandsobersincerightnow.com. Go to sincerightnow.com, look up top. Supply is the store. We've got four items there currently. I'm working on getting more up. There's bound to be something that you want on you or to put something in, that being a mug for coffee. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You don't want the truth. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Welcome to the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Podcast, the podcast of clean and sober, K-L-E-N and S-O-B-R, and SinceRightNow.com, with your hosts in recovery, Jeff, Matt, and Chris. With our guest tonight, author and filmmaker, Robert McClellan. Hey guys, this is Robert. Hey Robert. Hi Robert. Hello. Can you hear everybody? Jeff? Hello Robert. Hi Jeff. Matt. Robert, how are you? I'm fine, except you sound just like Jeff. <laughs> well, yeah. the, the secret that I'm going to let you it's in on... It's Chris doing three voices. <laughs> and, and throwing it. Oh, Matt hates that joke already. I can tell. <laughs> And I've only said it every time. <laughs> I know. Um, me too. So, so. Are we, are we ready to do this? Sure. Okay. Um, I'm going to jump jump in. I'm gonna, tonight on Since Right Now, our guest is Robert McClellan, a documentary filmmaker and author. Um, there's a clip from Robert's film, Real Sobriety, up on SinceRightNow.com uh, in the next thing section, which is films. Um, and uh, Robert's joining us tonight to, to talk about his, uh, his journey, his path, man. his yeah. journey. Welcome, Robert. Thanks for I think, oh, thanks guys. It's great to be here. <laughs> Good. Um, it's great to be anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, uh, the way I became familiar with you is I think, um, Somehow I found out about your film and, and we talked back and forth and, and ended up agreeing that it'd be cool <laughs> if I if I could post a, a, a clip. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a phenomenal personal piece of work um, that, mm-hmm. I mean, tell us a bit about, about yeah, making we'll sort it. of jump around on, on a timeline, but tell, tell us about how the, the mm-hmm. film came to be and then yeah. maybe we'll get back into how you came to be where you are now. Sure. Well, actually, I was fortunate enough that I married an incredible woman who is a professional filmmaker. Hmm. Her specialty is underwater film. She works with National Geographic, PBS, etc. Her name's Jill Heinerth. Yep. We watch some of her stuff. It's incredible. Oh, she's, she's amazing. Yeah, mind-blowing. And so when I married Jill, I had a background in the Navy as a combat photographer so I sort of knew what end of the camera to look into and so forth. 
And Jill said, well, you know, if you're going to be with me and be my partner, you're going to have to, you know, learn a little more about filmmaking and so forth, as opposed to still photography. So she asked me, what, you know, what are you passionate about? What message would you like to get out into the world? I said, well, you know, about the only thing I'm a real subject matter expert in is uh, getting drunk and getting sober. Yeah. So we decided that we would uh, make a film and you know, basically in that genre. And I also had a lot of personal resentment, which is, I know, unusual to hear. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> Institutional resentment. Um, because wh when I was in treatment, um, the, by the way, I, I, I went to rehab in 1989, like for the last time. I went several times before that, but it didn't quite take. But I remember in 1989 sitting around, you know, absolutely sweating, white knuckled, you know, on the edge of my chair, fidgeting, you know, not being able to focus on anything. And they're showing us films. And these films are doctors in white coats explaining brain chemistry right. or priests at a chalkboard. God bless Father Martin. But, you know, I wasn't ready for him, you know. And it was all it was all these very um, authoritarian figures you know, uh, basically, you know, uh, telling me all about substance abuse research and so forth. Well, you know, I wasn't ready for that. I mean, I, you know, I'm ready. I'm, we're, I'm puking and, and I've got diarrhea. Yeah. I, I, I don't really want to want to hear hear about endorphins and so forth. Right. And, and besides, I thought at that point I was a pretty good substance abuse researcher myself. You know, I was pretty much a subject matter expert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So this leads to making real sobriety. I said to Jill, why don't we make a film with real people? Like just, you know, folks that are that have a story that if I make it for that person who's sitting in that intake room, that 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 group, uh, you know, environment in, in treatment. And, and let's have some real people that 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 are interesting and, and have and can can tell a little bit of their story and show that it's possible to live a relatively happy life in recovery. And that's really the, the genesis of it. That's mm -hmm. the, the details are, so I, I started looking for people yeah. and, you know, I was relatively active in the recovery community. I, I knew some folks, but the guys that kept fascinating me were the hardcore motorcycle groups, yeah. the hardcore yeah. motorcycle clubs yeah. that are now living sober lives. Mm -hmm. So these guys are absolute outlaw bikers yeah. and they want to live the biker lifestyle, yeah. but they want to do it without drugs and alcohol and going back to prison. That's great. I, I, I was, I got sober in Florida, in Edgewater, Florida. And I went, my first meeting, my first home group was, it was this fifth chapter and it was a sober biker meeting. Yes. And these guys, it was fascinating because they were the 1% of the 1% and they kept telling me that, you know, the, that famous article by, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, that oh, there's only 1% of the bikers are gang gang members, mm -hmm. and, the, and they were all proud of this fact. Mm -hmm. And they all had back problems from riding Harleys. And I mean, bikers are beat up guys when they get to sobriety, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And, and it, but it was just the most amazing, you know, they tattoo each other before and after the meetings. And it was just this, mm -hmm. but they were great, great, great sweethearts. Absolutely. And uh, embraced me. I felt, I felt lucky to know. But that's and when I was seeing the clips today, I was like, oh, my God, all, all these guys are bikers. This is where you got you found this. It's so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, that was just one flavor of real people, real hardcore people um, that had a lot to offer. And, uh, boy, making the film with them was just so amazing. Uh, yeah. 
you know, just uh, there was one <laughs> one anecdote I can tell about a. a you know, if you've seen the film, I'm in the film. I'm a big guy with bald head and, you know, I shave my head and I'm, you know, over 200 pounds, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> so after we we um, screened the film for them at their clubhouse, uh, we took everybody out for pizza. So we go to this very nice pizza place in Boca Raton, Florida. Mm-hmm. It's more of an Italian restaurant, sit down kind of thing. And I walk in, I had a jacket on, I walk in and I said to the maitre d', okay, you know, I need this big table. I called earlier, we have 15 of us and so forth. And he's like, oh yes, right this way. So I open the door and one by one, these guys come in there, you know, and they've got their cuts and they're, and the, you know, they're all tattooed and yeah. the entire restaurant stopped. It was silent. Yeah. All the forks and knives, yeah. no more, everything was in completely quiet. And I'm holding the door, showing these guys where to go, and I'm, you know, kind of looking around. And the maitre d' comes up to me and he says, "You're not their bodyguard, are you?" <laughs> I was like, "Dude, <laughs> if I know anybody in the world that does not need a bodyguard, yeah, it's these it's guys." Yeah. <laughs> and and they were absolutely the sweetest, uh, just just, and they had the greatest stories because you know yeah. they they came from a place in their addiction and in their alcoholism. That a lot of us, you know, we just we just basically dip our toes in that water, you know. But these guys were all in, mm-hmm. and so their stories were fascinating. Um, I, and you know, it, it, we also we also looked for alternative, uh, you know, options to twelve step programs. Mm-hmm. So I found a, a rational recovery group, a secular organization for recovery. Mm-hmm. I think they're called. Yeah, sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about uh, that. We've we've been fascinated by that. And well, S- SOS is, yeah. and it's it's a it's a type of rational recovery philosophy. Yeah, um, you know they don't follow any twelve step programs. They 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 don't. Uh, the, the the way the way it was explained to me was, um, don't bring Jesus into our meetings unless he's drunk and needs to get sober. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know. Uh, so yeah, you know they 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 basically it, most people that go to these uh, and again I'm I guess I'm stereotyping but yeah. I found I found these people in the in the non spiritual group to have the highest level of spirituality I've ever experienced. Really, mm-hmm. <laughs> these were really sincere folks. You just I, by I, their behavior, just the way they acted. Yeah, I think I think that you know um, I guess they 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 have a real sense of being role models in their community. Uh, I get, you know, the, the impression I got was that they, this particular guys that I dealt with in in Daytona, um, you know, they, this is the guy, these are the guys from the Chamber of Commerce, and and yeah. you know, the guy that owns, you know, the the, the Firestone right. store on the corner. Uh, these are real mainstream Rotary Club types, you know. Yeah. And and but you know, but they just they 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 the that particular group, it, it just seemed to me like. Um, it was like it was recovery for the smart kids. This was definitely a, a group of really, really intelligent people that had a lot of uh, self introspection and and uh, self evaluation. Wow! But they they left they left the spirituality at the door. Um, I'm sure that in their own personal lives, you know, they they have you know whatever religion or spirituality, but they separate that from their recovery. Uh, they, they sort of take a more scientific approach to recovery. Yeah. And so w- is your experience with that organization, a uh, secular organization for sobriety, w- is it with just that sort of one chapter, one meeting? I don't know how they're organized. 
Yeah, that was it. That was the okay. So I mean, yeah. like, like you know, an AA meeting, the it may vary. White, <laughs> you know, what is it? Results may vary. Yeah. Uh, yes. Depending yes. on who you're sitting in a room with. Um, yeah. But uh, so just to back up for a minute, then we've talked about others, groups, and organizations for spray. How, how did um, can you can you catch us up maybe with with your active years and then what? How you came to, yeah, your moment, yeah, sure. What it was came like, to the, happened, yeah. you know, yeah, sure. And then what your, what yeah, because your your bio reads amazingly yeah. well. Like all this, all this amazing stuff. Two branches of the service, yeah. Iraq, mm-hmm. and then oh, and then I got sober. Right. Wait yeah. out here <laughs> after all that yeah. stuff. Well, well, I, I, I would. I'll have to start this with a disclaimer by saying I would not recommend joining the U.S. Navy as your method to get sober. It's just, it's, it's just there are easier ways. Yeah, there are probably better peer groups. Um, yeah, a lot of us. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm told I had my first drink in my baby bottle. I come from a hardcore North Philadelphia, blue-collar, working-class background, uh, grandson of uh, immigrants. Most of the people from where I come uh, were Irish, Scottish backgrounds and, you know, total teetotalers. <laughs> um, you know, our, 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 our structure was we went to Catholic church, went to Catholic school. You know, the, the schools were run by old-school old Irish nuns. Uh, early in my life, I, uh, you know, I was abused physically and psychologically by one of my parents, and then the other parent just loved and encouraged me. So it was a real sort of a, you know, a, a real conundrum. Uh, anyway, uh, skipping ahead to my teenage years, you know, by the time I'm 13, 14 years old, we're spending our Friday and Saturday nights, uh, you know, uh, paying. Uh, guys to go in the liquor store and buy us wine and uh, go in the bar and bring us out six packs or quarts of uh, really high quality stuff like, uh, oh, you know, Ripple and uh, Mm -hmm. uh, used to be a thing called Schmitz of Philadelphia. (laughs) Delicious. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, that's what we did. That's what that's what we did as teenagers. So we sat on the street corners, we drank, we got, you know, uh, into all the trouble that you could possibly get in. But it was just part of our of our life. Uh, you know, I, by the time I finally got, uh, sober, uh, you know, I looked back and realized that except for some time in boot camp, I can't remember a single day where I didn't either drink or do drugs. Hmm. Um, you know, going forward again, you know, uh, that brought all the trouble that it normally brings, like, you know, run-ins with the police and street fights and difficulties with girlfriends and family and relationships. And then my dad died when I was 17. And so this just gave me carte blanche to become a full-blown, raging alcoholic and addict. And by that time, I had discovered things like crystal meth and mm-hmm. cocaine. And uh, so, you know, although you know, a lot of us get into this whole thing about, you know, what's your drug of choice and so forth, you know. And I'd have to say that mine was probably alcohol because most mm-hmm. of the other stuff I did, I did just so that I could stay awake and continue to yeah, drink. Drinking. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was a very much a part of my culture. I got old enough to sit in a bar and, uh, you know, about 17, 18 years old, where I'm from, got, you know, we're sitting in bars. It's no big deal. Yeah. And you learn how to sit a good bar stool, as they say in the, uh, in the, in the Irish culture. And sitting a good bar stool means, you know, you know how to behave. You, uh, you, you drink. You don't, you know, you don't make a mess. You don't start fights. You pay for your, your, your tab every week. You're the last one to fall off. <laughs> yeah. So it was just a part of... Uh, of, of my culture. Um, 
very fortunately, you know, here's here's a little a little little uh, sidebar. Um, when I was very young, I got really fortunate and wound up in the entertainment business. I, I you know, uh, backstage stuff. I was mm-hmm. a stage manager, a stage hand, and I started working with rock and roll bands. And so, you know, I worked with everybody from U2 to James Brown and everything in between as they were coming through Philadelphia. Worked for production companies and sound companies. Then I did some of my own freelance stage management and so forth. So for a guy that has a, you know, already a predisposition for drinking and drugging, I mean, the rock and roll business was, you know, man, it was, it was heaven. But that got old, too. After several years of this, even though I was good at what I did, I stopped caring like what end of the room the stage was at, and I started being more concerned about where I could get high, mm. or later on where I could sell cocaine. Right. Because you know, in those I'm, I'm talking about in the early '80s here, late '70s, early '80s. Um, I know some of, you, some of your listeners may not have even been born then, but <laughs> there was actually good street drugs. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I had All a couple the of guys days of good street drugs. Yeah. I had a couple of guys in South Philly that uh, were happy to supply me with, uh, you know, four grams of cocaine, sell three, keep the fourth one for yourself. Yeah. And that was fine. You know, it was a great arrangement. So then I needed eight. So, you know, sell six, keep two. Then I needed 16 and so forth. And uh, I got really, really wired on cocaine. And um, I wound up leaving a lot of money on the street in Philly. And when, if anybody knows anything about Philly, when I say South Philly and you got money on the street in South Philly, you've got to get it. You've got to either deal with it or you, you got to go away. So I walked into a, a U.S. Navy recruiter's office and I was the wow. easiest recruit he ever had. It was like your escape <laughs> plan. You were running. I think I've always had this, this survival thing in the, in the back of my brain. You know, uh, yeah. there's always been this wolf at my heels. Yeah. And so, you know, ever since I was a kid, but I've always been just one step ahead of that wolf. And I've always known when to zig and when to zag. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, there's some, some, some of us in, are, are innate quality. You can see it coming. Yeah. So anyway, I wound up in the Navy and man, was I happy there, you know, uh, continued to drink. I didn't do any drugs though, because they used to wake us up at three o'clock in the morning and take our urine, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah. But man, I got to be full blown hardcore. Yeah, you can drink. Alcoholic. They're okay with drinking, right? Yeah, alcohol was accessible at all times. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh I, well, you know, I, I again, it's this little strange story, but I spent nine years on active duty and was never on a ship. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was in the Navy Seabees, which is a uh, combat engineers were on the land. Right. Yeah. And I was I've a combat. Would be the fighting Seabees, which I It's a classic. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. The key, we went to a. Uh, the 80th anniversary Founders Day in Akron uh, mm-hmm. of AA. And the keynote speaker, she had been in the Navy and she was like some NORAD command in Alaska or something. I don't know mm-hmm. what. And uh, also just, I mean, drinking her way through her Navy <laughs> right career. Right to the top. Right to oh, the yeah. top. And like monitoring, I don't know what, the nuclear system <laughs> situation. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and while she was drunk, so. Yeah, now, I, um, I, again, I, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about several decades ago, so I'm sure things have changed for the better since then. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> we'll trust you. <laughs> so, again, fast forward, and um, I wind up in a really good position in the Navy. I wound up as an instructor at the Combat Photography School in Pensacola, Florida. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once again, just 
Absolutely. Somewhere along the line, I got married and had two kids, too. To, to your and, current? Uh, no, this no. was to my, to my first wife. Okay. And, um, I, you know, I, I've, 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 I've got a number of them. I'm sorry. but uh, how, many, how many you got? <clears throat> I was married four times. Okay. Yeah, three times, nice. uh, uh, tw- twice, uh, uh, twice in, in, the, uh, in my alcoholism when I was using. And uh, then I, got, I married. <laughs> well, we can fast forward now. I married a girl that I met at <laughs> Yeah, you don't need to dwell on that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, mar- I married my third wife because my sponsor and her sponsor were friends, and we were like within our first year of sobriety. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you name it. We know all those rules they talk about. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I just You're threw like, darts in that thing. Suggestions. Just... How long did that one last? Just out of curiosity. Uh, about two years. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you not to do that exact thing, but, you know, that makes yeah. sense. But, you know, I, I can take like a real sanctimonious position here because she, uh, she went back out, you know, and, oh, wow. and so I, I cut it. That was like, OK, besides the fact that I'm unfaithful and I'm a complete like psychological mess, you started drinking. So this has to break up. Right. <laughs> How dare you? Yes. I was shocked. So anyway, along the line there, I'm in the Navy and um, I'm an instructor in Pensacola. And I start taking a shine to some of the young girls that are coming through in my classroom as my students. And by this time, I've got a little bit of rank, and um, I start messing around with these girls that are right out of boot camp. And do you see a pattern here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's no other, there's no other alcoholics or addicts that share this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a position of authority, and I have all these young girls that are looking up to me. And, uh, you know, my bathtub is full of ice and beer on the weekends, and we're partying at our place, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the Navy did not like that. Uh, mm. they, they didn't mind as long as it didn't become public knowledge, but it, it became public knowledge. And there were some scandals, and uh, eventually I wound up um, standing in front of my commanding officer at a uh, process called Captain's Mast. Mm. Anybody who's been in the Navy will understand what that is. It's basically uh, your life is in his hands. He can do anything from throwing you in the brig and tossing the key to slapping you on the wrist or something, giving you extra duty. Mm. I'm standing there looking at my uh, my skipper, and he tells me that he thinks that there's something in me worth saving. So he's going to give me a choice. I can either go to the brig or I can go to the Navy's treatment program. Mm. For alcoholics and addicts, which <laughs> humorously they call dry dock. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, nice. So tough choice. I chose right. dry dock. <laughs> dry dock over the brig. That's cool. <laughs> now I'm sure there's there's you know there's there's a lot of similar people in the civilian world who are looking at a judge who's doing the same thing. You know, there's the county jail or there's AA. You know, it was one of those choices. Is DD AA based? Is it twelve step based? Yeah, it is. Is it was a twelve step model. It was actually. Uh, it was actually run by civilians, uh, you know, medical professionals, treatment professionals. There, there were some military people that were counselors and so forth. It, it, it's actually uh, substance abuse counselor is actually a specialty in, in the Navy now. Oh. Interesting. So they didn't put a nautical spin on all the steps or anything? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know what? Hey, matey! Leave <laughs> yeah, me powerless! Yeah, that's a exactly. pirate. You're lost. I'm sorry. You're lost. <laughs> You're lost at sea. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, lost We're in the confusing pirates with the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much difference. Common mistake. <laughs> All right. Sorry to derail you. Oh, no. So, so that's, that's basically it. That's, the, that's what got me to 1989 in treatment. 
I had a wife and two children that were sort of uh, my part-time family. Um, you know, I, I chased them away as often as mm-hmm. I could. But um, I always remember, uh, you know, right before I went to treatment, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I did besides the infidelity and f- screwing around with the, with the, with yeah. the girls was uh, I spent all the kids' Christmas money. I got drunk. I took all the, uh, all the Christmas money that my wife and I had saved, and I, and I went, uh, was supposed to be going and picking up some big Christmas gifts uh, a couple days before Christmas. And instead, I, I went to the bar, and uh, then I went to find some hookers, and then I went to find, uh, you know, who knows what, and wake up on a, a stained carpet with a, a, a dachshund licking my face. Uh, <laughs> was it your dachshund? Or? <laughs> no, I never saw the dachshund before. <laughs> of and I and I'm totally pleading the fifth. Carpet or was it? Someone's... It was my carpet. <laughs> but after a while, they're all my carpets. <laughs> At least they feel like home. Right. Wow. So so anyway, you know, of course there was a, a divorce, but I remember my daughter who was. <laughs> Was about, I'll just it. I remember my daughter, who was about four at the time, coming up to see me in uh, in treatment on the on the visitor days, and she came up and and uh, so I said I said, uh, do you know why Daddy's here? And she says, yes, Mommy said that you're here because you get sick with beer. Mm. I said, yeah, I get sick with beer, and you know that made more sense than anything of those counselors yeah. told that my my four year old knew that you know when I drank beer I got sick. Yeah. So that got me into that treatment center, and uh, wow. you know, uh, one of the advantages of being in the Navy treatment center is you can't leave. There's no, you know, you're there. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you leave, you go to the brig. It's was a, it's it in a Pensacola one- in the same base, or did they send you somewhere else? It was uh, at another hospital in Pensacola. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that anyway, that was 1989, and, uh, and that was it. You know, I I was uh, like as usual. You know, I, I read the big book and I thought there'd be like a, some kind of a, an exam in the back that you just fill in the answers and mail it in and then, you know, get a certificate or something. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I did it. So I totally intellectualized the whole program. Mm. Uh, thank goodness there is a really good recovery uh, community in Pensacola. And I found, a, you know, they, even when I didn't deserve it, you know, they, they would help me out and they would love me even though I was totally unlovable and totally resisting all the help that they offered until I found an old sponsor that was, you know, pretty much just like me. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves meeting coffee. How cool is that? Official coffee of the Sense Right Now podcast. You know they carted us around in, in the in the the Navy van to these AA meetings, and part of your treatment was by the time you left after you know it wasn't a twenty eight day treatment it was uh, six weeks. At the end of the six weeks, you had to have identified a sponsor in the community. So I found this old retired Navy guy named Dan, and I walked up to him at a meeting, and you know the clock is ticking because like I'm in my fifth week, you know, and I'm still haven't found anybody that I think deserves to be my sponsor. So I walk up to Dan and I give him a, after a meeting, and I I say, hey Dan, I really like you know what you say at these meetings, and I, I you know I need a sponsor, and so uh, here's my phone number. You should call me. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know a lot about it, but that's but, not yeah. the typical way. Yeah, no. <laughs> At no. nine o'clock tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I read the book. I was freelancing, improving on it. That's awesome. 
So Dan, Dan takes the paper, throws it in the trash, and he says, I don't need to call you. I know how to get drunk. You need to call me every morning at 10 a.m., no matter where you are. I'm like, Dan, okay. And then he just walks away. I'm like, oh, Dan, wait, wait, what's your number? What, Dan, whoa, whoa. So I'm standing there, and I turn around and look to some people, and they said, ah, oh, you must be one of Danny's new pigeons. That's funny. Yeah. So this young, this, this great girl from New York, Pat, you know, everybody in A has nicknames. So this was New York Pat. New York Pat hands me her phone number and says, call me later tonight and I'll give you Dan's number. It's in my book at home. So that started this relationship with Dan where I, I you know, I'm working. You know, I'm, I'm still in the Navy. I, you know, you just can't like say, hey, 10 o'clock, got to go call my, my AA sponsor, you know. But I managed to make an effort and slip away every day and call him somewhere around 10 o'clock. And then he started making me come to meetings and like meeting him before the meetings. And then he started making me going out with him after the meetings and talking and reading that book and doing big book meetings and inventories and things like that. And eventually, you know, I, I guess you talk about higher powers. I think for that first year or so, Dan was my higher power. Yeah. So you didn't believe in God, didn't have that? You know, I, 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 I had this uh, love-hate relationship with with the so-called G.O.D., you know, the, I mean, I was raised Catholic and I, I, you know, I had that whole, uh, you know, Catholic guilt thing, you know, where, you know, the, 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 the Catholic influence in my life, you know, told me that I was a bad guy and I was behaving awfully. And the reason I was addicted and alcoholic was because I, you know, I didn't pray enough or put enough money in the poor box or something. Mm -hmm. So I had this complete resentment towards, towards religion. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, Dan explained good orderly direction. And by the way, Dan studied in a seminary. He was going to be a priest for a while before he joined the Navy, which was interesting. So he kind of had that whole thing covered, too. <laughs> but he was very liberal with, you know, with all the, you know, he wasn't forcing his spirituality on me. He just told me, you know, if nothing else, just every time you hear God or read God, just think of good orderly direction. I was like, okay, what's that mean? He says, that means when you get out of bed, you make it every morning. You know, drunks and addicts don't make their bed. So do something simple for yourself, like make your bed. Because at night, when you come back to that room and that bed is made, you'll really feel good about yourself. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, all right, you know. So, mm -hmm. so you know, I'll take that kind of real simple stuff. And mm -hmm. so, so let, me, let me tell you about uh, doing my inventory. Would that be all right? Sure, absolutely. Please. This is the part where a lot of people get kind of really caught, you know, in my experience, a lot of newcomers go that far, you know, they one, two, three, and then they have to start doing some introspection and inventory and it never gets done. You know, it's one, two, three, 12. Yeah. So Dan, I, I, I used to race bicycles of all things. So I was still racing bicycles through most of this stuff. And I had a really bad crash on my bicycle and my collarbone was broken. So I'm sitting home in a sling Dan comes over and he says, well, that's good. That's God's way of telling you that you need to slow down, need to write out your inventory. Yeah. You got the time now. So he hands me a legal pad and he says, I'll be back on Sunday and uh, I wanna, we'll, do our, we'll do your inventory. And I'm like, okay, so sure. So, you know, again, I go into the book and I'm trying to do it. I'm making sure it's neat and it's in beautiful columns and, you know, T's yeah. are crossed and the I's are dotted. Uh, because I think, you know, once again, I'm going to get a grade on this, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, Dan meets me on, on Sunday, and he's got a little boat. He's a fisherman. He takes me out on this little boat on this little bayou there in Pensacola. He says, you got your inventory? Yes. Yeah. So I, you know, I unfold it, and I hand it to him. He 
He takes out a lighter and he lights it on fire and throws it into the water. Wow. <laughs> I love it. So I'm about to jump in the water, you know, in the, like the alligators, you know, to go get my inventory that I worked so hard on, you know. Wow. And he said this very simple thing. He said, I don't care about that. I care about who you are today. Mm-hmm. And all I want you to tell me is that one thing that's gnawing at your insides, that's eating you up from the inside out, yeah. that you've never told another person and you don't think you can live with. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. And he's like, and I'm not turning this boat around until you do. Wow. <laughs> so I did. And when that happened, he turned the boat around. We went back. We went and got a sandwich. He's, he took me home. And he said, <clears throat> Open a big book, read the book, do exactly what it tells you you're supposed to be doing right now, and it involved praying and so forth. Yeah. Said, Damn, but I don't pray. He says, I don't care. Just, just, you know, just do it. Just do it. Just listen to you know, some mm-hmm. people that know a little bit better than you do. And I did. And oh, I have nice. to tell you that that afternoon, a 10-pound weight was lifted from my shoulders, yeah. and my entire recovery changed. Wow. That's such a great story. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, and I'm, I'm like, I love Dan. He's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And Dan's definitely what you'd yeah. call in, you know, old school, yeah. tough love. But he was. I've, I've heard that someone told me that too. It's like, it, that's, that is the fourth and fifth step. It is right down on a matchbook, the three things you were going to take to the grave. Interesting. Because that's yeah. it. And, mm-hmm. and I think you make it really complicated with right. all this stuff that yeah. you're happy to write down. But it's, it's those three things that you didn't write down, mm-hmm. right? Did you Absolutely. write down the thing? Was that in the inventory? <laughs> ah, somebody has some insight here. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. Uh, was that no, on there? Of course not. It was my secret. That's right. awesome. And see, uh, isn't that crazy? Yeah, the whole exercise is almost designed you to were drill ready, down to that one. You were ready to bullshit him, and you weren't going to even get that out, and he fucking knew it. Well, it got me that far in life, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. the whole thing I said about the wolves snapping at my heels. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, 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 the main... You know, the main method of escape was bullshit, you know? Yeah. Bullshit my way out of everything. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I bet that was, that was, that's great. Well, you're only as sick as your secrets, man. I mean, that is just such a truism. And it's so funny. I mean, I, and I had these almost the same thing. Like, there were things I held back and got called on eventually. And I think it took a year after I did my first one. There was just things I wasn't going to tell anyone, right? Just super embarrassing Mm -hmm. or whatever they were. Yeah, God, that's great. That's good. My, my, and I held back things, and and I drank again. Yeah, you know, and you drank quite frankly, again. I could. Right. There were just certain components in my personality, mm. things I'd done that I didn't want to confront yeah. under right. any circumstances. And guess <laughs> right. what? I'm going to. Those go are to... the ones that are going to get you. Yeah, so, I know. Huh. well, you know, I, I can't say that I had like this beam of light and this hallelujah and angel harps playing and all that, but all of a sudden I didn't feel so dirty anymore. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and and I felt like suddenly I was a part of the world instead of apart from the world. And and so now with this comes some responsibility, you know? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I threw myself into AA 12-step programs. I was just telling Jill, my wife, uh, my, my, my current wife, my next ex-wife. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they, you know, it's just whatever. It's a pattern. I don't know. <laughs> I'm joking. I am married to the nicest, kindest person I've ever met in my life. She's sitting right next to you. She's in the other room, yeah. I'm very fortunate. (laughs) Listen, if I can give any bit of advice, any kind of romantic advice tonight, let me tell you this. Marry a Canadian girl. Oh, interesting. A lot of listeners will appreciate that. There you go. Wow. We may have to have a spinoff podcast now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Canadian girls. Canadian no, girls. an expose <laughs> behind the border. <laughs> so I'm, now I'm like, now I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm cooking maple leaf syrup in a spoon, you know. Mm. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so anyway, I stayed real close to the program. Um, I was, like I was, I was telling Jill tonight that we we're talking about this, you know, that. I went to AIM, you know, say 90 meetings in 90 days, but you know, I was an overachiever, so I probably went to 120 meetings in 90 days. And then I continued, and I probably went to five or six AA meetings every, every week for probably a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, then maybe four, then three, and maybe five, six years in, I was, you know, a couple times a week, but I stayed involved, and those were the people in my life. So, you know, I, I and, and, you know, today, I mean, I'm, I'm coming up on 26 years yeah. since that day in 1989. Oh, okay. And, you know, I, I like to think about living in the solution. I like to, uh, you know, use my life as, you know, as an example, uh, as a uh, uh, proof that you can live a happy life in recovery. You can have success. You can. You don't have to live like a monk. You don't have to, you know, become a, a vegetarian or meditate or mm-hmm. burn incense and all that. Um, but if you're and, a vegetarian, you do have to become an omnivore. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> um. So you know. So, so uh, you know. I think AA is a fantastic program, mm-hmm. and and I and it saved my life. Um, I have a, you know, I have an acquaintance with AA today. I don't have a regular meeting schedule. The last time I went to a meeting was a while ago, and I went to give a uh, a person that is close to me their one year chip. Mm. Uh, but through writing and filmmaking, and, and just you know, again, you know, just the way I live my life, I think I can carry the message. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you know, we all have our own tools that we bring into the the arena here. Right. And so that's one of the reasons I made real sobriety was because I wanted to make it for that person sitting in that chair, white knuckling it. Yeah. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. And I think when, what it does too is it, it does shine a, a light on, on different, um, you know, aspects of, of sobriety and recovery that I think, don't think everybody's aware of. I mean, it was a revelation, even having seen your film when we went to uh, Founders Day in Akron, how many bikers there? It felt almost as much like a biker convention as an AA convention. Yeah, it, it we was. did we did have a moment where we thought, "Are we at the right?" <laughs> we backed out slowly. But you time. know what's funny is that you would never walk into like you know a a one percenter biker club just off the street and say, "Hi guys, I'm Chris. How's it going?" Right. You know. But you would walk into a one percenter biker AA meeting exactly. at their clubhouse. Totally. I mean, that's, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an acceptance. I've been to AA meetings all over the world. I've been to, you know, uh, just, just to, honestly, everywhere all over the world. I, I, it's one of the things I try to do when I, when I do travel is yeah. I try to find a, a local group and just come in as a visitor and say yeah. hi. Yeah. Sometimes it's in a language I don't understand, but, but I do understand the smiles on the faces. Sure. I understand the hugs and the, and the support. And it's usually better coffee than the American meetings. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> But you know, there's also uh, you know the, one of the big differences between like when I got sober and today, um, 
you know, I think there's more awareness and less stigma, uh, less the uh, less of a stigma uh, about addiction and alcoholism. It's certainly uh, moving that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's more compassion. I think this is probably directly related to the kind of work that you guys are doing. You know, where where social media and podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, for many people listening to your podcast is their meeting. Yeah. And, and, you know, it comes, it's delivered right in, into their house, into their room. And so I think that, you know, these things weren't available, you know, when it just says like in the 1930s, you know, they wrote a book because yeah. that's how they could, that's how they could, you know, yeah. share the message. Yeah. That's a lot of people originally got sober. That's all they had was this book. book. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is well, crazy. you know, I, I think that one of the things that, one of the things that, and again, this is all my opinion. None of this is scientific. It's sure. my experience. I think that for a lot of addicts and alcoholics, you know, there's something missing. You know, there's a connection in our life that's missing. And, and the substance, whether it's alcohol or cocaine or heroin, whatever, you know, takes, takes the place of that, that human connection. Absolutely. And, and basically all we're saying is, you know, that what we really want is we want to feel good about ourselves you know, we want to feel loved. We want to feel part of something. And, you know, it's scary to reach out and do that with humans. So we do it with our substances and then we don't feel empty anymore and, until it turns on us. And, you know, and then we're more empty than ever. So, so you know, by having access through the Internet and through, you know, mainstream television shows, uh, you know, that, that put a positive, uh, that have a positive recovery message, yeah, it, it's there's so many more assets today than where you can make that connection than you could, yeah. you know, 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, 10, 15. Yeah, um, yeah, and so many different places to go. You know, it's funny. It's a lot of the guests we have on here praise AA. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and AA has a role in every lots of people's mm-hmm. lives. I still go. Matt goes, mm-hmm. but lots of people come on and say well, they've gone for a long time. Credit was saving their lives. Don't go anymore. Whatever. But to me, there's so many more avenues, mm-hmm. whether because and, and, you know, I don't know what the percentage of people walk into a meeting and just can't get it right. Just mm-hmm. don't like it. Whatever. The, whatever the reason is. Can't do the God thing. Mm-hmm. Want to keep drinking. But still, I think there's yeah, just all kinds of avenues now to get sober, which is great. There are yeah. options. And mm-hmm. I, I do think it's interesting. I mean, like like Laura from last episode, um, <laughs> you know, she went for a couple years, I yeah. think. Um mm-hmm. And and you know the the take take what you need and leave the rest yeah sort of mm-hmm. a- apply it that way she's not anti a and to the same token it sounds like I mean you 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 go back to meetings you you visit them in different countries and you say with with your work you're you're carrying the message in, in my mind the way I hear it is you're not necessarily carrying an AA or a twelve step message mm-hmm. but a a recovery message right yeah I think so I, yeah. I, I you know I, I I think the whole denomination thing of recovery and treatment centers is, you know, I think it's a, it's a hindrance. Uh, Me too. Yeah, I, agree. I mean, think about, I think about, you know, if I'm a, uh, I think about if I'm a Muslim woman living in Toronto or somewhere, you know, and, you know, and, and the AA meetings are primarily lunchtime businessmen, right. you know, that, that, uh, I mean, where does that girl go? You know? Yeah. And, and, and I think, and, and also I don't, I, you know, there's a lot of people that have a hard time with these various uh, specialty meetings like uh, 
you know, there may be like a gay and lesbian meeting or something in your community. So folks get resentments because that's what we do. But, you know, I think, you know, I don't care, man, as long as they're, you know, as long as the person's trying to get into recovery, get some help, reach out, find some love, find a connection. It doesn't matter to me how they do it. You know, AA happens to be, you know, arguably the, you know, the, the one that has the most success uh, or at least introducing people into recovery. It certainly has the widest reach. Yeah, it has the widest reach. But, you know, there's a there's an awful lot about, quote, the program and the fellowship mm-hmm. that, you know, just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, again, I, you know, I, I, I don't, it, if someone came here today, right now, walked in my front mm-hmm. step and said, hey, man, I'm really fucked up and I, I need, need somewhere to go. You know, I'm going to call, hey, I'm going right. to call yeah. some, some, some dudes that are doing 12-step, yeah, you know, sure. work. Uh, because that's what I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is a big cultural thing too. You know, we 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 have a whole, we have a you know we have this really pissy attitude about addicts and alcoholics in this country. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, it's hard. It's you know, our war on drugs is is a war on people like you and me. You know, it's yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's a it's a war on poor addicts, poor alcoholics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know it. I have a I have very serious uh, and strong political opinions about this, which maybe not you know relevant to this conversation, but but you know uh, we need to start treating people with compassion and humanity, and we need to also think about you know how can I make every person that reaches out to me for help you know welcome and 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 look at our similarities and not our differences. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's it's it's. I know this is all sort of like bumper sticker, uh, you know, cliche stuff here, but well, yeah, you know, it's interesting, and this comes up sometimes because I I, I had a, a reticence towards the bumper stickers and the cliches mm-hmm. and the the platitudes right. and the aphorisms, just because I didn't have that experience. That so much of so much of that comes from like the rooms, from twelve steps, from AA, mm-hmm. um, and you know, Jeff and Matt helped remind me or, or educate me that it's some a lot of it's because they're true right yeah yeah, um, yeah. and uh so you damn know, them all i know so that's, <laughs> I, i'm i'm learning and this whole you know effort was as much for my education as it was to share what i know so um yeah no, there's no uh so the the book that you wrote was this after the movie uh yeah i just wrote the book is a collection of stories i've okay. uh i've been yeah. just essays and these are not necessarily recovery stories; they're just hum- human stories. Yeah, there's there's a lot there's uh, a lot in, in there that, of course, are you know related to my drinking and drugging. Uh, the book is the book is called Boom Baby Boom. And is it and, your your stories are just collected stories that you've heard over the years from all kinds of people? Oh, it's all first person. This is my stuff. Okay. And, and what's the subtitle? Because that helps. Uh, boom Baby Boom Volume One: A Baby Boomer's Tales of Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, and Recovery. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Hey, kids. Remember the whole thing. Log on to Amazon and get it now, kids. So well, this is yeah, your we'll story. Notes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a series of uh, yeah. it's a series of essays, um, of essays uh, that cover everything from from my drinking and drugging uh, to uh, uh, you know just uh, friends I've lost to uh, you know I mean I'll, I'll read some of the some of the, the titles. Uh, uh, I I want my jetpack. Right. Uh, Vietnam, uh, November 63, I drink a bit, uh, <laughs> the steps, I can, I, I can, I can tell a quick story about the, the passage in there called the steps. If you've got time, yeah, sure. 
Bring it. Okay. Uh, I won't read it on, on the air here, but uh, long before I came into recovery and stayed, I knew I belonged there. Uh, my uncle, who was a raging alcoholic and got sober, uh, pointed out to me that there was a, a local AA clubhouse. And uh, one day he wouldn't take me. He wouldn't take me. He insisted that I had to go myself. Hmm. So I, I used to take the bus home from work, and I, it was actually a trolley car. For those of you who don't know what a Philadelphia trolley is, mm-hmm. there's a there's a trolley car there, and it would leave me at the corner. I'd walk right past this place, and it had steps that that led up to the second floor above a store. And every single step had a little saying on a little plaque with a with a saying. And so I immediately thought this was some kind of a cult, you know. <laughs> So, and I, you know, I, I, so I was convinced that, you know, whatever that is, and God, there's that G-O-D word again. So I just passed by, passed by, passed by until finally my uncle showed me that, you know what, you need to go up there and check it out. So, oh man, I, I went up three or four of those steps uh, many, many times. And uh, I know this is, this is uh, you know, I did it, uh, actually walked up like to the fourth step and turned around. So <laughs> do with that. <laughs> anyway, one day I went in there. And there's all these guys, and they're, they're all the guys from the neighborhood. They're just, you know, the working class guys, the hardcore guys from the neighborhood. Now, there weren't too many women, so, you know, it was kind of an after-work men's meeting. And, um, you know, so, you know, hey, how are you? My name's so-and-so. Who are you? Hey, sit down. Here, have some coffee. Like, all these big guys are putting their arm around me and all this. I'm like, oh, man, this, what is this? You know, this is a cult, you know? So I sat on the very outside. I didn't go into the table. I sat on the outside right. and... And nervously drank some coffee, got up, went to the bathroom about 47 times. Yeah. And then finally when it was over, uh, you know, they actually got up and held hands and they chanted something. Mm-hmm. And I thought for sure I was going to get circumcised. <laughs> <laughs> and, and these guys could do it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm leaving and these guys are coming down. They're handing me, the, you know, the meeting schedules and little oh, cards no. with names yeah. on them and Telling me, hey, you know, give me a call, you know, I'll come pick you up, take you to a meeting tomorrow. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll call you. Sure, I got to go now, you know. And it took me about 13 years to get back. Wow. (laughs) So, I mean, I was, uh, I had it delivered right onto my, you know, right there. And I I, I didn't didn't know enough. There's so many stories like that. It's amazing, though. Right in the middle of it. Yeah, people going to, yeah, they're just not ready, right? But you know you are. Yeah, it feels like foreshadowing. Yeah, some strange kind. Yeah. Well, my uncle knew. I mean, you know, he's. Yeah. Yeah, my uncle died uh, sober, thirty years sober, and you know that's a miracle in itself. Yeah. But it was. Uh, and so I, you know, I knew something. So, I, but you know, uh, I guess the bump for for you, Chris, the the bumper sticker takeaway is that it ruined my drinking forever. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely because does. I knew there was a way. There was some. There were guys out there just like me. That for some reason didn't need to drink and drug anymore. They found something. Yeah. AA does that. Ah. A head full of AA and a belly full of booze is a bad. Uh, that's a good point. Or just even yeah, the knowledge. I never really thought about oh, that. Totally. I think one yeah, once you, once know, you know, but you haven't really drinking is miserable. Admitted it. You just feel like a piece of shit. I did that for yeah. two years yeah. where I had gone to meetings and we was drinking. Yeah. So it's just awful. I did it for a long time. Yeah, I, I did a lot of that. It was not good. Awful. Ten years. Old. You know. You know, I, I did the, the basic, you know, I would I would clean up, uh, you know, but I wouldn't stop drinking. I would just cut back, you know. Right, yeah. I would go over to the bar and I'd say, okay, I'm, and, and I, I didn't even count my drinks. I counted my money. Mm. That's funny. I'd say, I'm only going to spend 20 bucks tonight, you know. So I just 
bought cheaper crap. <laughs> so now, I'm, so now, I'm, now, now like I'm sick the and I'm spill a spillage yeah. thing and just <laughs> give me some. Now, something now nice suck on the bar. Yeah, man. now I got all this rot gut shit, and I'm you know, <laughs> That's awesome. and enough money to do it again tomorrow. That's funny. Yeah, the justifications come pretty easily. Well, hey, but, uh, before I forget, um, yeah. are you going to DC in October? Not that I know of. Okay. No. Do What's you know in what, DC? Uh, Unite to Face Addiction on the Mall, October. Oh 4th. yes, I saw that on your website. Uh, um, I'm going to be I'm going to be in Canada. As a matter of fact, oh. this is this is the last piece of business I have to do before we take some time off and go to Canada. Interesting. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, you'll, awesome. we'll try to um, stay away from that maple syrup, man. Right. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Can, Canadians are fucking friendly. Yeah. <laughs> no, like they just are. Say that. Catch a go to an yeah. AA. Hey, that's it. Oh, eh? that's bad. Eh, eh. I know. All right. <laughs> that's our. That's I'll see myself keep out. Keep coming back. Isn't that what they say? Yeah, keep, keep coming. Coming back. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll give you dispatches from the front line. Yeah. Or, or uh, so you're you're doing a vacation up there. You just you do you spend time between states and Canada. Or uh, yeah, we try to we try to clear the decks for a couple of months and go spend some time in Canada. We're cool. kind of like reverse reverse snowbirds. Okay. Up there and we live full, full time in Florida and part time in Canada. It's perfect. Right. Fantastic. Cool. And Jill's family's up there, and and you know we uh, we actually it's a nice downtime for her because her her work's pretty intense you know she's an underwater right. filmmaker and and very high tech uh, scuba stuff so it's it's an opportunity for her to just sort of uh, you know decompress uh, no pun intended that's funny <laughs> what do you what are you working on now what do you have another new project coming up uh, actually we we are um, yes uh, I, I'm working on another book and and I'm also working on yeah, I'm I'm working on a uh, another version of Real Sobriety, sort of updating it, oh, uh, and w w that's part of what we're going to do in Canada. We're going to sort of you know outline it and mm -hmm. and and do some research. Um, I think it's time to you know to 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 update it and and actually include a lot of the things that we talked about tonight, things like social media mm -hmm. and, and work work that you guys are doing and and that sort of thing. That's awesome. Well, cool. Keep us. Posted and yeah. let's and know how that's yeah, keep up the along. good work, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh. absolutely, and good luck with. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. I, I I certainly appreciate you having me, and I highly recommend uh, that people check out your website and your podcast. Uh, you know, you, you're doing it right. You really are. Cool. Uh, you, you 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 got something going there. Well, I appreciate well, thank that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, I won't go as far as to say it's professional because I nope. understand that's part of your mission statement is no, to I remain as unprofessional. Right. Punk rock. <laughs> seat, seat, of, seat of the pants. Yeah. That's right. Punk rock, seat of the pants. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, it's all the links for all the stuff. We, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about um, sure. will be uh, up with uh, the episode. Mm -hmm. And I'll uh, work to have it up as soon as I can tomorrow and I'll make sure I let you know when. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Oh, you're very welcome, guys. Take care. Bye.